The title of my lesson is uh, Altar Work, and they put an and in there, and I just put a comma. Altar Work, How Should We Behave Ourselves? Now, I want you to think about that just for a minute. I didn't come with anything new. I don't know anything new. I keep learning things old. And the more I learn about things old, the sweeter they get. Amen. And Brother Skinner, the more fragrant the odor of the old teachings of the Word of God. But altar work is something that is extremely important. Now, some of you may be offended at me by what I'm going to say. I've not pastored for a good long while, and I don't know that I ever can again. But I have made myself available to go to churches of other faith and orders. I went there to see if what I had heard and read was true. And I found out that it was worse than what I read. And that's what put this thought on my heart of altar work. Somewhere in this world, somewhere in your life or my life, when we come to Jesus, we had made an altar of some kind. Now, an altar doesn't have to be something that's erected of wood or of stone. My younger brother, he said he was under conviction and made an altar call and he stood up over here on this side. And the minute he got to his feet, he said, God saved him. I find that I have to have altar work every day in my life to stay close to God. And even then, I feel like I'm not as close as I want to be. But I'm going to read a few a verse of scripture before we get any farther. My lesson text is found in, the, in 1 Timothy 3 and 15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Brother, there's not another institution on the face of the earth like the New Testament church. Not one. And this is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Here's where, she, here's where she's broadcast throughout the world. And we need to know how to behave ourselves in the house of God. Now I have observed, I'm not real intelligent, but I have observed how that men that I thought were men of understanding, men that was uh, growing in the work of God, men that had the, a handle on it. And I saw things in their lives that just embarrassed me. Brother, we can be an embarrassment to the work of God if we aren't real careful. Amen. Now, the things that I'm going to say today may be something that we, we've all heard before, but I learned by repetition. When I hear something taught over and over and over, it seems to stick. But it's something new. Sometimes I've got to hear it again. That's something I don't usually ever do, but I'm going to try to take my time. And I told my wife the other day, I pastored for 35 years. And uh, my health kind of slowed me down some here lately. And things that we was confident in was the truth that we left them with these churches and I was amazed at how soon changes came after that I left. Now, we may think, well, I, that just didn't happen. It did happen. Yeah. 
I've seen the things happen in my lifetime. <coughs> Brother, we need to get hold of the truth and we need to know how to behave ourselves in the house of God. Second Timothy 2 and 2 makes this statement. And these things that thou hast heard among, me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Preachers, young preachers, old preachers, we ought to be able not only to preach the gospel, we ought to be able to teach gospel lessons. I've heard preachers say, I'm just not a teacher. They ain't a way under sun that you can preach the gospel and not teach. Now, I want to begin this lesson with, with a plea. I want to beg you for something. Please don't jump to conclusions before I have an opportunity to explain myself. There are some opinions that difference around the altar that I don't understand. I have watched work around the altar. And I've seen the opinions of men that I had a lot of and have a lot of confidence in. And some of the things that they say and do just makes cold chills raise up all over me. Questioning whether it's right or not. But altar work is something that is critical. Altar work is something that's important. And if we don't have a handle on this, our church is bound for a doom. Amen. So these opinions that we have around the altar work that I don't understand. But I'm not here to pick or start an argument with anybody. I just want to try to understand how that we ought to behave ourselves in altar services. Now, well, let me go on. Let me go on. What is an altar? I have been over in eastern Kentucky where I was born and raised and I would go up in them hollers and I'd just fall down on my knees and talk to God. There wasn't anything there erected. But when I bowed, God met me there. I remember one time I was up there in a revival with my younger brother and I went up this holler and got up under an old rock cliff. And as I began praying, I heard a voice within me. And I reached over and picked up a rock and I laid it down. The next day I went back up there and prayed again. And that same feeling I had was pick up a rock. And I picked up seven rocks and stacked them on top of each other. We was in that revival seven nights. And on the seventh night, the seventh one got saved. Now, I know you may think that that's just something that's far-fetched and in my mind. Maybe it was, but seven souls got saved. Altar work is important for us as preachers just because we've been saved by the grace of God and, and we're pastoring or preaching doesn't mean that our altar work has ended. <coughs> I find I have to pray more now than I did when I first got saved. I have to keep digging. Amen. I have to keep digging. I want to get as close to God as I possibly can. I want the Lord to use me. Amen. I don't want him to refuse me. Now my first question 
is how much can we say to people who are outside of the ark of safety when they're on an altar seeking God? It's really important that we ask ourselves that question. I want to help that sinner as much as I can. But I want to help them by the leadership of God. I really think sometimes that proper behavior is so extremely important around the altar or the work of God, especially when it comes to altar work, especially when it comes to in our church revivals, in our Sunday morning services or Sunday night or Wednesday night, when people are seeking the Lord in what we call our altar areas. It's really important that we ask God what we ought to do. Amen. Now, I have a deep burden. I don't hear much about that no more. I have a deep burden for lost people because folks, their opportunities, their window of getting saved is getting smaller all the time. I've got a little granddaughter over at Tompkinsville, Kentucky, a great granddaughter that's 11 years old and she's lost. She needs the Lord. So I've got a great burden for these lost people. I have a fear, and I think it's an honest fear. I watch people when a sinner falls in the altar that some can just fall down beside them and begin talking and begin saying, <coughs> saying things. I remember one night I was helping Brother Bill Shoulders in a revival of freedom. And this, there were sinners on the altar. And I made my way up there with them and I sat down right in between them. And this person that I didn't know came by nuzzled right in and began talking to him and, and act like he was a praying. But the things I was hearing was deceptive. And I reached over and put my foot on his fingers. <laughs> I mean, I put my foot on his fingers to get his attention. I wanted no part of that deception. Amen. The same revival. There was a man that was visiting. I didn't know him. Sinners was on the altar. He asked if he could come and speak to them people. And Brother Bill said, you can come and encourage them or pray for them if you want to. He walked up there to the altar and brought his Bible and opened it up to the 10th chapter of Romans. Started to talk and Brother Bill, I was never so proud of a man in my life. He reached over and so, so easily he said, fella, if you don't want to get embarrassed, pick up your Bible and go sit down. <laughs> Preacher, sometimes you have to be bold. Amen. There's no room for cowards in God's work. <clears throat> and I don't care if it's your mom, your dad, whoever it is, if it's deceptive, stop it. I'm telling you, the devil is making the biggest play for the Lord's church that I've ever seen. Amen. Let me tell you this, and then I'll go on. Get my breath a minute. Boy, that clock runs fast. I went to this Southern Baptist church, and I found favor with them people. 
I found favor with their pastor. He was an ordained missionary Baptist preacher from Inez, Kentucky. But he went to the seminary and uh, he was the pastor of the Southern Baptist Church. But we loved each other and we learned things about each other. And I bet he asked me a thousand questions about how does a missionary Baptist believe where you go? <coughs> he opened the door for me. God opened the door for me there. They asked me to preach in their pulpits. I preached there Sunday morning after Sunday morning. And them old Christians in that church, and I believe there's old Christians, they would go out the door and they would fall around my neck with tears dropping off their face, saying, Brother Watts, we ain't heard that kind of preaching in a long time. And I'm not bragging on me because it was mediocre. But they needed to be fed. They asked me to teach a senior adult class once a month. By this time, this pastor had left and they had called an interim. I was teaching this class on Thursday morning and God was helping us. The classroom was full. But I didn't realize it, but the interim was standing outside the door eavesdropping. I made mention in that lesson that when people get saved by the grace of God, they've got a time and a place where they got saved. This preacher got in the pulpit Sunday morning and he said, you don't have to have a time and a place to know when you got saved. And it's just like the atmosphere. It was the atmosphere all right. It was the Holy Spirit of God to give me that information. He more or less told me that I was finished there. But God helped me to leave something things with them. And I hope that they don't never forget. They even asked me later if I would come back and be their interim pastor. And I remember what Brother Moran said. I told him, I said, I would love to come back and preach for you, but I can't abide by the program. They said, Well, we don't want you. I said, I don't want to cause no confusion either. I think when the lost sinner's been convicted, and I mean convicted, by the Holy Spirit of their sinful condition before God, I think they deserve the right to be left alone with God while they're seeking the salvation of their soul. Now, if I'm too reserved around the altar, it's because of that fear that I talked about. Brother, this is a fearful place. It's a fearful thing to interfere with the sinner when they're seeking God. Amen. Our behavior before God and before the... Listen, our younger children are watching how we act in church. Amen. If we act abusively, if we do things that's not scriptural, they'll pick up on that. Amen. You ever had any heart pain? I ain't got none right now. <laughs> I dreaded getting up here so bad I offered one brother a quarter while to go up here and take my place. He turned me down. After I got my quarter. So I do, I think they deserve the right to be left alone while they're seeking the Lord. Now I am reserved and I have watched people watch me. Why isn't he down there talking to that sinner? Why, why are you down there doing something? I'll get down there and pray for them. But I can't pray their prayer. Amen. 
I can point them to the Lamb of God. And I think that's as far as any of us could go. I read about a preacher one time over in Tennessee. And I'm not knocking you Tennesseans. (laughs) Us Kentuckians ain't no different. But I heard that this preacher said to this girl on the altar, said, you're going to get saved tonight if I have to chew the nails at this altar. Brother, that was a disgrace. Chewing them nails at that altar bench won't save that child. It takes the power of God. And I believe people, when they come to, to the house of God in altar work, I believe that the people can pray the power of God down. When the power of God's not there, it's a dangerous thing to speak to them sinners. Very dangerous. So if I say something to interfere with a connection, and I tell you, sinners do make a connection with God. When they're seeking the Lord, they make a connection. And if the connection is not made, I did a little wiring in my house the other day. And I got a wire crossed, and whenever I touched the wrong one, the connection was made with me. I didn't like it. But whenever the connection is made with a sinner in God, brother, they're getting right where the Lord wants them to be. <clears throat> so too many times, honest hearts have been deceived. Oh, Lord, that clock's going to do vast. Honest hearts have been deceived with words from honest people. I mean, honest Christian people get so interested and so anxious that they say words. That's the wrong, it's the wrong word at the wrong time. And I do mean honest-hearted people. Sometimes we are humans, we just simply get in too big a hurry. <clears throat> I remember one night, my little girl, when she was about... Five years old, six. We'd lay down and my bedroom was over here and the hallway and hers was over here. I'd like for it to be where I could see her. She was just asleep. That's my little girl. Didn't have a second one yet. We laid down and I heard her crying. I said, Candy, what's the matter? Here's what you said. You talk about humbling an old fella. She said, Daddy, am I too young to know that I'm lost? Oh, Lord, there I laid in that bed as dumbfounded as a man could possibly be. I said, Candy, how did you know that? She said, Daddy, whenever I was listening to Brother Mike Froge, Brother Steve's grandfather, when I was hearing him preach, you might have thought I was a playing, but I was listening. And when he talked about hell, it scared me. I don't want to go there. I said, Candy, come get in the bed, but Daddy and Mommy. I heard them little feet pity patting across the floor. She'd come around there and crawled up in my arms and just in a, in a fetal position. I know how you all feel that you got these little children's lost. I said, Candy, I said, that daddy had been able to do just about anything you needed up to this point. But I said, I'm tired. I can't do anything to help you except point you to Jesus. I said, do you want to pray with daddy tonight? And she said she did. Little brown-eyed, dark-haired girl. I loved it with all my heart and still doing. She's 55 years old. 
we got out of bed on our knees, her and their mother and myself, and we tried to pray. But that's as far as I could go with her. I, I, I wanted to hurry it up. I wanted her to get it, but I couldn't give it to her. And I couldn't make it happen no faster. And we can't do that to the lost when they're on the altar at our churches either. Amen. They have got to have their time. But for my part, for myself, I'd rather wake and seek God's advice because we're dealing with the eternal work of God. Brother, it ain't something that we can just undo, we can play with. This is eternal work of God. Amen. It's not anything to play games with, which I've been seeing happen. That boy didn't like it that night because I stepped on his fingers. But folks, listen, if we love our children in the lost world and we love the truth, we need to stomp on them fingers Amen. if they're portraying the wrong thing. And you know what happens when we get in a hurry? We get in God's way. If God is big enough to convict a sinner, <clears throat> Let them know that they're lost. If he's big enough to do that, if he's big enough to draw them with his spirit to a praying place, if he's big enough to do that, he's big enough to save them. <coughs> I've heard it said a hundred times, I guess. When I feel, finally figured out that I was, was lost, I asked my mother, I said, Mom, how will I know? When I'm lost, I knew that I was. I wanted her confirmation on it. But all she would say was, you'll know. I did. I said, well, how will I know when I get saved? She said, you'll know it. And I did. And I tell you that night that God saved my soul at Friendship Missionary Baptist Church in Columbus, Indiana, September 17, 1969, about 9.30 at night, when that burden rolled away, something happened to me that night that had never happened before, nor has it happened since. And you know what happened next? You probably know. There was a spirit spoke to me and said, son, you didn't get enough. You didn't get enough to take you to heaven. But about a month later in my car, I cried out to God. I said, I've got to know. And God said, son, said, if you had the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you'd be happy. I said, God, if my salvation, the salvation you gave me is that little, I'll take it. And I've had it ever since. It's grown a little bit. <clears throat> Let's go a little further. Now, there's another thing that I want to say. When little children comes to the altar, or when somebody, I observed this not long ago, this man and his wife, this man is so eager, his little girl was about four years old, and he talked her into saying she was a Christian. He talked her into saying she believed that Jesus was the Christ. He took her by the hand and led her to the front of the church, and I observed it. I tried to talk to him, but he gets this fundamentalist belief. I'm telling you, it's growing by leaps and bounds. That little girl just is lost, as lost could ever be, if she's lost yet, and did his little boy the same way. 
if we aren't real careful, we'll get in God's way, as I said, of doing something that only God can do. <clears throat> so these little children, when they come to the altar, leave them alone. They're so impressionable. Don't say anything to them. If we don't harm them, they won't harm themselves. But if we start telling them uh, uh, different things about trust the Lord, do this, do that, they have no idea what we're talking about. Leave them alone. Let them, let them and the Lord work it out. Amen. Now, you may not agree with that, but that's fine with me because uh, <clears throat> I want these little children to know that they're saved by the grace of God. Amen. I hear them say, do you believe Jesus is the Christ? Yeah, I believe Jesus is the Christ. Well, you're saved. Take that Roman road. Brother, I'm telling you that there's some prerequisites that must take place before you can believe. So things that I've seen has troubled my heart, has burdened me for people's children are dying and going to hell. I believe it's important to build a prayer wall around the sinners when they're up here praying. Christians that knows the value of prayer, build a wall. Keep the world out. You that has the ability to sing, sing them old songs of Zion while the sinners pray. So that prayer wall is important. You know that night that I was praying at Friendship Church, I got saved back at my seat on, on Wednesday night. And, and, and I went to the altar Thursday night. And uh, I couldn't get nowhere. I'd pray for God to save me, and it's just like getting a wall. I got up, and Brother Steve Thompson's grandpa was standing there, Brother Mike Frode. Some of you know him. And I said, Brother Mike, I said, I think I might have got saved last night back at my seat. And he made me plumb mad. He said, Donnie said, I wouldn't have that no way it could be fixed. He hurt my feelings. I wanted him to tell me that was it. And a lot of places that happens just like that. But I finally, with the help of God, worked it out. I was on my way home from work one evening. And I went by this house before I got to my house. And here was this old preacher, Mike Froge. I stopped and went in. I said, Brother Mike, can I talk to you a minute? He said, well, sure. I said, go ahead. He's painting the kitchen. Had paint all over him. I said, well, let's go out in the yard. We went out in the yard and I said, Brother Mike, you remember the night that I told you down there that I might have got saved? He said, I remember it. I said, Brother Mike, I know that I got saved that night. <laughs> he took the big old arms that had paint all over him and took me in his arms and hugged me with the sweetest hug I ever got. And my wife's pretty good at hugging. <laughs> but that was the love of a brother. Amen. He baptized me later on by the authority of the church. Now the ingredients of God's recipe in the hands of human beings is tainted. 
They've changed things. I think I heard today that the way of God don't change. It's, it's eternal. <clears throat> so what can... I see this uh, just about everywhere that I go. What can be done to rectify this hurtful doctrine that's been, teach, been taught? It's going to take some courage. I've seen church, old-time church doors closed because that they didn't have the courage to check it. Now, maybe this is not going on anywhere that you're at. And maybe you, you, you young men that are pastors, maybe you've got a handle on of it and then keep it. Don't turn it loose. But maybe it'll help you in the future something that's coming down the pike. And I promise you it's coming. I promise you that the devil is working as hard as he possibly can in our government, in our churches. It wouldn't, be, it wouldn't surprise me at any time to tell us that we, we can't open our church doors. I wouldn't be surprised if them tell us we can't preach the gospel. How many of us would die for it? Right now, I think most of us would. I watched Brother Jeff Moran last night. If you didn't go up for a view memorial, you missed a good sermon. I watched him know as he preached, and he was very cautious, and he was searching for the right words to say. And that's what we need to do. We need to be very watchful and take our time. Uh, sometimes we get to preaching so hard and so fast, and saying words so hard and, and so fast that we don't do much preaching. But the truth is what we've got to get out to our people. Amen. Folks, listen, this, if I'm not mistaken, it's 30-some years that I've been down here. Brother Moran brought me down here the first time, and there was about 24 Baptist preachers here. It's grown. And I've learned a lot. I may not be able to portray what I've learned, but I've learned how to behave myself in the house of God. And that's what I want to get across to you this evening. I've seen in churches in altar work that somebody would be working in the altar and I'd hear a voice saying, boy, he's good at working in the altar. You know what that did? That man heard that. And it made him work that much harder. He got so zealous. He's on an ego trip. Folks, we don't need no, be no ego trips around the altar. We need to be faithful, patient, prayerful, waiting children of God. And people that are doing this, I don't think, and I've seen it, and I guess you have too. They may not realize that they're running real close to deceiving somebody. Somebody would believe what they're saying. People, and here's the big thing. They, they'll say, don't you feel a little bit better? Brother, when I was lost, I didn't feel a bit better. I felt awful. I was ashamed to raise my head up and look over the crowd. <coughs> Those people there had something I didn't have. I wanted it. I didn't know how to get it. 
They looked so perfect in my eyes. And that old preacher that they'd called hip in that revival, some of you might know him. His name was Brother Tate Kathy. When he walked in, I thought that's the ugliest old man I've ever seen in my life. If that man can preach, I can. He didn't have on a three-piece suit. He had on a pair of jeans and a plaid shirt, no tie, an old ragged Bible. And Lord, when he began using that old ragged Bible, he tore me all to pieces. On Wednesday night, September 17, 1969, about 9.30 at night, that burden rolled away and I looked at that old preacher and he just glowed. He didn't change a bit, but I was looking at him through different eyes. So uh, we have a, a church in our community and I've been there. I wanted to see what's going on. They run 400 to 500 people a service three times a week. Nothing wrong with that. I wish all of our churches could run three or four or 500 people. They've got 25 church buses they run. And every time I hear them talk about, they talk about 60 and 70, they got saved on the church buses. I wish that was possible. But I have my doubts because I know what they're saying. I've seen what they do in the church worship. I just can't go back. I've, I've, I've got everything I needed to see. I like the man, but I can't, I, I can't tolerate that. And if I get around them very much more, we want to have some conversations that I'm not going to like and they won't either. But it's important, folks, if we, have, if we get one saved, if we get one saved, what a glorious thing that would be. Amen. But I'm looking for a lot more than that. Amen. I sure am. And I pray that you, brethren, that got these revivals this summer, let me say something right here while I kind of catch my breath. <clears throat> I have an illness, but hear me well. I'm not dead. If you need somebody to help you in your pulpit, I can still preach a little. I'd be willing to come help you a little bit if you will call me. I don't care where you're at. I'll come to you. And, and, I, and, I, and, and I'd like to, if I have to die, which I do, and you do too, but if I have to die, I'd rather die behind this book board than I would in my bed at home Amen. doing the work of God. Amen. <clears throat> And I could go into great detail of the illnesses I have, but I won't do that. So we don't need to be trying to push sinners to make a decision. That makes me sick to my stomach. Or to accept Christ. You know, whenever they, they say that you, you can accept Christ, you know what they're saying? They're saying that, that God's offended you. They're saying, God has offended you. Now that, that this offense is over with, I'll accept him. Brother, that's total heresy. Amen. God is the one that's offended. Amen. We nailed his son to the tree. He died innocently. And I've heard people say that he became sin. Jesus never become sin. He paid a sin debt Amen. that we couldn't pay. If Jesus had to become sin, he couldn't have been the Savior. 
So we don't need to be pushing sinners to make, make decisions. If we can do that, I'd like for somebody to show me in the book where it says that. I've looked, I can't find it. This is not something that's between the sinner and man. This is between the sinner and God. And God's got it all worked out to his own perfection. There's nothing perfect about me in my flesh. I'm going to die, like I said a minute ago, and so will you. But there's something in here that was washed in the blood of the Lamb. You know, when I worked at IUPUI, I was telling Brother Pratt earlier that one of the buildings was mine that, to take care of was the gross anatomy. And there'd be 75 to 80 little stainless steel caskets in there that just folded down like a suitcase. And every one of them had a cadaver in them. And uh, I would go in there and do my work. And once in a while, the students would be up there. And I knew their teacher. And they'd fold them sides down and they would look at that old cadaver. And they was going to do heart surgery on him. And they'd take him open just like they took me open. And I could look inside of that thing. I could see the organs of that human being. But I never seen the soul. It was already gone. I don't know where it was going to, but it wasn't there no more. Now, I don't know if anybody in there even thought about what I was thinking about, except the teacher one day. He said, preacher, what are you thinking about? I said, I'm just wondering where the soul's at. And you know, I got to talking to that teacher, and got to, I got to actually preach the gospel to him, and he got saved. Uh, nothing for me to brag about. Men have just absolutely assumed too much authority on themselves. And they've assumed this at the expense of lost people. We used to have some proficient, proficient watchdogs. May not be the statement that we like to hear, but we need watchdogs around our altars. I remember that night that I was seeking the Lord. It just sounded like a constant roar of people praying, begging God for a little old boy like me that wasn't worth it, I didn't think. But one of them watchdogs was Brother Mike Froge. He didn't growl. He didn't bark. But he had an eye on what was going on. And young preachers, listen, if you don't obtain nothing else from this message, be a watchdog around the altars. Amen. I used to sit on my seat and I would, I would wonder, are these people really putting on? Are they, or do they have anything? Until that gospel pricked my heart. I knew they had something I didn't have. I think that's probably the situation with about everybody. But for some reason, I'll get back to the, my little girl. But for some reason, we, in our human nature, we want to rush things. I have said in the house of God, I've watched sinners on the altar. 
And I've sat there and prayed, oh, God, save them right now. I don't know if that's a selfish prayer or not. But I wanted them saved. And I wanted them saved early. wanted them saved quick. But when I stop and think about it, I want them saved God's way. Amen. I want them saved so they can know it. I want them saved so they can tell it. So it's our nature. But this is the work of man. This is not the divine work of God when we have that feeling. God moves in every situation when man can get, when, 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 uh, when he can get all of the honor and the glory from saving somebody. Ain't no preacher, I heard Brother Don Curtis mention yesterday about the ones that got saved over at uh, Maple Grove number two. And I love the way he said that, that God gave the increase. Amen. That's the way it's got to be. None of us have got a thing to brag about. I know that some of you men are much better evangelists than others, much better than myself. But no matter how good that we think we are, we are nothing without God. Amen. But somewhere down the lane of life, we just lost touch with God when it comes to proper altar work. Learning how to behave ourselves. Now, it may be, a, I may have offended some of you with what I've been saying. But if you're doing the wrong thing around the altar, stop and check yourself. Stop and check. We don't get too old to learn. We don't get too far down the, the road. And I guarantee you that these brethren that went before me, they'll tell you they're still learning how to behave themselves in the house of God, especially around the altar work. I know you're tired. You want to go home. I'll turn you loose in a minute. Men love the attention of other men, other people. Maybe not a lot of this goes on in our church, but I'm telling you right now, it's a knocking on your doors. It wants to get in. Keep a good eye on it. When we're building people's egos that are too anxious around the altar, they need to be stopped. I know that if we would uh, do something really serious soul searching, I know the Lord would let us know exactly what is the proper way, what is the proper way to function in the work of the Lord. What kind of altar work are we teaching our children? What kind, of, what kind of habits are we setting for them that's wrong? I've had habits that I've had to break. And the farther I go down the lane of life, the more that I realize some of the things that I was doing just wouldn't quite kosher. So be careful. I said, I have a fear. I have a fear of saying the wrong thing to a sinner. And whenever I have that fear, I just back away. I get on my altar and I talk to God, how or what should I do? Or should I do anything? Sometimes the best thing to do is to do nothing but pray. Amen. But then I have another fear. 
Is this really God speaking to me? Is he telling me something to tell the sinner that would help them? Will their blood be required at my hands if I don't speak to them? It just takes a lot of praying before you make that move. Now, I don't know if I've seen or read about everything under the sun concerning this work. I'm going to hear some things I want to mention, at least two or three of them. And I know you've, you've been, uh, you're familiar with this one. They want you to sign a card. Sign a card that makes you a church member. That makes you a Christian. No, it don't either. They say make a decision that won't make you a Christian either. Accept Christ. You can't do that, and I've done mention that. We can accept the truth and should, but we cannot accept him. He has to accept us. Now, here's one that I only seen once called a body rub. I saw this sinner come up to be saved to pray. And there was five or six gathered around him and they started at his head and they just went to ribbing him plumb down to his feet. That was supposed to save that man. I couldn't believe people was caught up in such foolishness as that. That man left there just as much lost as he was when he got there. A great number of people are trusting in all of these false, falsehoods of salvation and sad to say, they're going to miss heaven. I don't know what's wrong with hearing the gospel. I don't know what's wrong with getting under conviction. I don't know what's wrong with feeling the godly sorrow. I don't know what's wrong with repenting. I don't know what's wrong with praying with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. I don't know what's wrong with saying I got saved when I get saved. What's wrong with these terms? Most people have just kind of pushed them aside. Altar work, and I do mean proper altar work, is where my journey with God began. And no one offered me any of these alternate ways of deception. But what I got at the altar, Friendship Missionary Baptist Church in Columbus, Indiana, that night, the 17th day of the uh, night of uh, September, about uh, uh, 9.30 at night, was something that was real. Nobody had to explain to me that it was real or not. And I'm sure glad that that watchdog, Brother Mike Froge, he was one of them, carried, carried enough for my soul to create that protection around the altar while I talked to the Lord. He just kept the enemy back away as a proper altar work went on. Now in closing, I'll say this. I'm a proud grandfather of eight grandchildren. Three of my grandchildren are 17, 20, and 24, and all three of them are lost. And I'm praying that God will save them somewhere before it's too late. I've got 12 great-grandchildren, 11 little great-granddaughters, and one little great-grandson. Now, I, don't, I doubt that I get to live long enough to see them children saved, maybe one or two of them. 
I'm 77 years old. If God give me 10 more years, that'd make me 87. And I might get to see two or three of them saved. But here's my plea. If I'm gone, will you please watch the altars? If you're around where my grandchildren's at, would you please see to hear the gospel? Please see to it that they have the opportunity to talk to God from their heart until they get saved. That's a plea that I make with you. So by this, your kindred and mine can pray until they find their way home. You know, uh, back when I was pastoring Friendship Church, no, I wasn't pastoring at the time. I was a very young preacher. Brother Steve might remember this. Brother Steve Thompson. And the time's out, and I'll, I'll be through just in a second. There was a man I was working with. His name was Ray Wilson. And Ray turned 16 in jail. Come from a very rough life. But I'd come in on Monday morning, and I'd be telling him how good a service that we was having at church. One day I said, Ray, I guess you get tired of hearing me talk about this. He said, no. He said, I look forward to hearing it. You get back on Monday. Well, Ray got in trouble with the Lord. And he come to my house on a Saturday evening, and I hadn't been preaching. I don't know if I'd send an appointment or not. But I knew God had called me. But he wanted to get saved. And I thought, Lord, what am I going to do? I don't know how to preach. I ain't never done nothing. So him and his wife sat down in my living room, Ray and Sharon Wilson. And uh, I thought, well, the best thing I can do is to call the church together and have service in the morning. And <clears throat> we got down there, and God helped me to preach a little bit. And Ray come to the altar, he and his wife both. And he prayed for the longest time. And finally, he raised up and sat down on the altar bench. And when he sat down there, he looked at me right in the face and just smiled. I said, Ray, if you ain't satisfied, go back down. And here's what he said. I love him. I love him. I love him. And brother, if that ain't salvation, I ain't got nothing. Proper altar work will work every time. God bless you. Just my prayer.